0: The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and verses 11 to 32. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country. There he wasted his wealth with reckless living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He would have liked to fill his stomach with the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I am dying of hunger? I will get up, go to my father, and tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He got up and went to his father. While he was still far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, hugged his son, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Then they began to celebrate. His older son was in the field. As he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant said to him, Your brother is here. Your father killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. He answered his father, Look, these many years I've been serving you and I never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived, after wasting your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The father said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Whenever our Savior tells us a story, it is worth noting who his original audience is, who he was telling this story to in the first place. So today, as Jesus tells us probably his most famous story, the parable of the lost son, he does it as notoriously sinful people, like tax collectors, have gathered to Jesus to listen to him speak. And Jesus shows them grace. He welcomes these open, well-known sinners, eats with them, hosts them. And when Jesus does that, there is another group of people, Pharisees and the experts in the law, who object to this. They are actually offended to the grace that Jesus is showing these notorious sinners. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells this story to kind of a a dual audience. You have some people that everybody recognizes as sinful, and Jesus is showing them grace, and then the other part of Jesus' audience are these self-righteous types who don't like God showing forgiveness and grace to these kinds of sinners. So this is kind of a long story, and just to keep your mind occupied and engaged while you're listening to it, there are some questions that you could be asking yourself. What part in this story do the Pharisees and the experts in the law play? What part do the tax collectors and the well-known sinners play in this story? And most importantly, what about you? What part do you play in this story? Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. Jesus is a master storyteller, and you and I know that especially if you have kind of a long story to tell, and this is kind of a long story, and you want people to actually hang in there and listen to it all the way to the end, you better start fast and grab people's attention. And the way that Jesus starts this story would be like an open-handed slap to the forehead to everybody who was listening, because he says a man has two sons, and one of them demands his inheritance early. And in Jesus' world, you don't do that. I know in our culture, people are starting to think a little bit more about leaving at least a chunk of their wealth to their children before they pass away, right? Thinking being, let them have it when they need it most, and I'm still around to watch them enjoy it. No, not in Jesus' world. You did not do this sort of thing. For a son to make this demand of his father was disrespectful, borderline hateful. In essence, what this son is saying to his dad is, "Uh, I think you've lived just a little too long. And I would rather have your money and the stuff that your money can buy than you and your company. So give me my inheritance. And did you notice the son, he doesn't even frame this as a question. And when he makes this demand, he doesn't even say please. So how does his father react Does he cry? Does he scold his young son for making this insolent request? Does he beg him to stay? So he divided his property between them. The father simply grants his son's demand. Now, spoiler alert, the father in this story is God the Father, our Heavenly Father. So what does God do when one of his children hatefully tells him, I would rather have the world than you? Your decision. Goodbye. Now, as we will see, the father does not want it to be that way at all. The father wants more than anything in the world to have all of his children with his arms wrapped around them. But if one of God's children does insist on leaving him, he does not block the door. It is also worth noting at this point in the story that the older son, whom we have not yet met in person... He also receives his share of the inheritance, which, by the way, as the older son, would be the lion's share. Two-thirds, twice as much as his younger brother he gets. But the older brother does stay home with his dad, and he keeps working. He's always working, 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 and working. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. So what is this distant country, exactly? I believe Jesus leaves it unnamed, he leaves it unspecified for a reason. The distant country can be a lot of different places. It is anywhere that one of God's children goes to try to find fulfillment in life, to try to find joy away from the embrace of their heavenly Father. The distant country is anywhere you go to try to find satisfaction and happiness away From God the Father. And sometimes when God's children go to these places, it is a place that is obviously blatantly evil, like the bottom of a big bottle of booze or the end of a needle. But other times when God's children go to their distant country, it might actually be a place that on the surface looks innocent, even wholesome, the office, their family, Wherever you go on a quest to find fulfillment apart from your Heavenly Father, it is the distant country, and it's going to end badly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older brother is still working, always working, working and working. In the distant country, the younger son wasted his wealth with reckless living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. Now, later when we meet him, the older son is going to clue us in on exactly what is meant here by reckless living. But the younger son now, he's trying with everything he's got. He is trying to find that fulfillment in life apart from his heavenly father. And he has a lot going for him. He has his youth, right? He has pockets bulging with money. He has people who are fun all around him. And in the end... It's all a waste. It's a prodigal effort. And any time that one of God's children leave him to try to find life to the full away from their heavenly father, it ends up as a total waste. It is a prodigal effort. It doesn't matter how much money you have on hand. It doesn't matter if you still have your youth, how many sources of fun you have around you. Eventually, it ends. And when it does, there is spiritual need and famine And even worse, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He would have liked to fill his stomach with the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So sons who leave their father looking for something better apart from him end up in disgrace and desperation. A Jewish boy working for a Gentile boss, that was pretty bad in Jesus' culture. A Jewish boy working with unclean animals like pigs, that was disgraceful. And I think we would all agree that any human being wanting to eat what pigs eat is just disgusting. No one gave him anything. The People leave their Heavenly Father thinking there's going to be some kind of greater fulfillment out there without Him. And when they do, they don't just end up with shame and disgrace. They end up with spiritual emptiness. Nothing from anybody. And this is not just rock bottom. This is worse than rock bottom, spiritually. What the Father says later about His Son's current condition is absolutely true. He is dead and lost. Meanwhile, back at home, Well, the younger son is disgracing his family. The older son is still there, still working. He's always working. And now, before we go any farther in the story, do you remember those questions that you were supposed to be asking yourself to keep your mind occupied? What part in this story do the Pharisees and the experts in the law play? What part do the tax collectors and the notorious sinners play? And what about you? What part in this story do you play? When he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and i am dying of hunger it's been pointed out often and correctly that a better name for this story rather than calling it the lost or the prodigal son a better name would be the love of the father because at the bottom line what is it that causes this younger son to come to his senses and return home to his father you could be cynical and say he's broke and he's hungry. That's why he goes home. But what if he knew, what if he knew that his father were a hard and unforgiving man who would not take him back? He would have stayed lost and dead forever. But he remembers the nature of his father. He remembers that his father is so kind and generous that even his servants who are not related to him have more than enough. And it's the goodness of his father that causes his younger son to say, I will get up, go to my father and tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Sort of like a husband who just forgot his anniversary, the younger son is now planning and preparing ahead of time the apology that he is going to make to his father. And every word of what he says in the first two sentences Is true. He has sinned against God in heaven by sinning against his father. He has been rude and disrespectful and hateful, and he does no longer deserve to be called his father's son. This is not false humility or an overboard confession. He's doing exactly the right thing. He is forsaking all of his pride and relying completely on the mercy of his father. Meanwhile, while he is packing up and heading back home, brother is still there, still working, always working. The younger son got up and went to his father. While he was still far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, hugged his son, and kissed him. The father cannot wait for his son to come home. Can you picture this father up nights, pacing around his property, looking out, over the horizon and saying to himself please just let him come home I don't even care what he's done I just want him back and then one day he sees that son coming over the hill and the father can't wait his son is still a long way off and the father even though he obviously is older than his son he's the one who goes running out to his son and even though the father is the one who has been wronged he's the one who does the hugging and the kissing of his son this is all the father wants just for his son to come home So he can forgive him. And not just forgive him, but forgive him very fast. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now do you remember that confession that the son was practicing earlier? That was almost all of it. That was the first two-thirds of it. He didn't even manage to get out the last sentence of his confession because his father didn't give him a chance. He forgave him. Too fast. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So the father's forgiveness is so fast that his son doesn't even have a chance to finish his apology. And the father's forgiveness is so full, it is so complete that it brings out a robe, the best robe he has, and a ring, and sandals, and a calf, and not just a calf, an expensive one, a fattened calf. The father's forgiveness is so full and complete that it demands a party, a celebration. And then the father says the most important thing of all. He calls that younger son who had wronged him so badly, this son of mine. He says he was dead. But that's in the past tense. Now he is alive. He was lost, but you can forget about what he was because now he is found. We know why our Father in Heaven forgives our sins just as fast and fully as the Father in this story. It is because of the one who is telling us this story. Jesus came into this world And he lived a holy life in the place of every lost, dead, sinful human being. And Jesus died on the cross to wash away all human sin. It is the saving work of Jesus Christ that moves our Heavenly Father to forgive our sins. The same way that the Father in this story forgives his Son. And it is forgiveness that we all need. Because whether it's the sinful nature inside of us, or the devil, or the unbelieving world around us, we have all felt that pull to go to a distant country and find some kind of satisfaction, some kind of fulfillment away from our Heavenly Father. And we have all needed the goodness of our Heavenly Father to call us back to Him. It is His goodness, it is His kindness to us in Christ that brings us back. And when we come back, he forgives us for Jesus' sake. And he doesn't just forgive us. He forgives us immediately and completely. He calls us his sons and daughters, alive and found. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the story ended right there? It would be. And I read a very interesting article. I can't find it anymore. It was about 10 years ago. They asked church-going Christians, biblically knowledgeable Christians, to tell the story of the lost son. And you know about 70% when they tell the story, they stop right there. They completely forget that there even is a second half to the story. But Jesus does have another important spiritual point to make, so the story goes on. And before we go on, remember those questions you are supposed to be asking yourself. What part do the Pharisees and the self-righteous types play? What about the tax collectors and the prostitutes? And what about you? His older son was in the field. As he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant told him, your brother is here. Your father killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So, guess what the older brother has been up to during this joyous homecoming? Same thing he's always doing working out in the fields. The same thing he's been doing the whole time that his little brother has been demanding and running and wasting and disgracing. And how this older brother's skin must crawl when he hears the first words out of this servant's mouth, your brother. The older brother was angry and refused to to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. He answered his father, Look, these many years I've been serving you, and I never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Father, look how hard I've been working for you all this time, and I've never disobeyed you even once. And if you think that I'm ever going to call that guy my brother again, forget it. When this son of yours arrived after wasting money with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him. See, that guy cannot be his younger brother. He can only be the son of his father. Because, you see, the older brother, he's so good. And the little brother, he's so rotten. And the older brother, he's been home all this time doing nothing but working for his father. Except, if you will recall, he did also take his share of the inheritance, which was actually more than what his brother took. So when he says his father has never given him anything, that's not true. That's a lie. And since he also took his inheritance early, that also means technically all these years he's been working at home, he hasn't really been working for his father as much as himself. So he has also been greedy and ungrateful and untruthful. And it turns out he needs his father's forgiveness just as much as his little brother. He just doesn't realize it. The father said to him, "Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours." And that is literally true because he had taken his inheritance. But it was fitting for us to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This father loves all of his children. He wants this older son too to come into his embrace, to come into this celebration and be glad with the rest of the family. The older son, he wants to rely on all the good work that he has done. He wants to stand on his own two feet. And so he stands outside of his father's embrace. Meanwhile, his little brother has fallen into his father's arms for forgiveness, and he has received it, along with the father's celebration. And this is just exactly how it goes with the Heavenly Father. If you want to stand on your own two spiritual feet and think that God should take you because you have been working for him so hard and so long, you will find yourself outside of his embrace and outside of his celebration. If, on the other hand, you recognize that you have been a slug and you fall into his arms and throw yourself at his mercy, you will have it, and you will not just have God's forgiveness, you will have it at a fattened calf level. A heavenly celebration. So, back to the questions that you are supposed to be thinking about. What part do the Pharisees and the self-righteous types play in this story? Of course, they are the older brother. They are convinced that they have been working and working and working for God. Like the older brother, they've been working for themselves to make themselves look good. But they are convinced that God should accept them because they have been so good. And they resent it when God shows forgiveness and grace to people like tax collectors and prostitutes And so these Pharisees find themselves standing on their own two feet outside of God's embrace. And meanwhile, of course, the tax collectors, the notorious sinners, they are the younger brother. Yes, they've done terrible things, just like the younger brother in the story. But now they are coming to their senses. They are listening to what Jesus says about the grace of the kingdom of heaven. They are returning to their father and falling into his arms. He is embracing them and celebrating them in heaven. Now the most important question, what part do you play in this story? There are actually two parts you don't want to play in this story. One is the younger brother before he comes to his senses. So how can we avoid making this terrible mistake of wandering away from our father and looking for something better apart from him? Just remember who your heavenly father is. Why would you ever go looking for greener pastures apart from him? You know, just the idea that there's something better out there away from your Heavenly Father. That is the most satanic of all lies. He is pure grace and love. There is no greener pasture than being in his arms. You remember that? And you won't wander away from him in the first place. The other part in this story that we don't want to play is, of course, the snobby, self-righteous older brother. And some of us especially those who have been Christians for a long time and done a lot of good things in God's service, we might be tempted to think sometimes that God should embrace us, He should accept us because we've been working, working, and working for Him. But we need to remember that we have also had times where we were like the younger brother. Where we wandered away from our Heavenly Father and we needed His goodness to call us back. You see, if you remember that, If you remember that you have been the younger brother, then you cannot, and you will not be the older brother. You won't look down on any other sinner or resent God's forgiveness to them, because you'll know you've needed it too. And now, of course, the parts in the story that we do want to play. We want to be the younger brother after he comes to his senses and returns to his father. And that is something that we Christians should do every day. Because whether it's a short distance or long, we all wander from God every day. And every day we need to come back to him and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We fall into our father's arms every day because he is always watching for us to come over to that hill. And when we do, he runs to us and embraces us, and you won't even have a chance to finish your confession before he forgives you and celebrates you. The other part in this story we want to play is the part of the forgiving father. Of course, the father in the story represents God the father. We'll never be able to forgive perfectly like him, because he's God and, and we're sinful. But we do say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because you see, once you have fallen into your father's arms and you've felt his heartbeat against your soul, then you will turn around and forgive others the same way that your father does. And every time a sinner falls into his arms, you will rejoice and celebrate, no matter who that person is, and no matter what wrong they have done, you will call him your brother. Amen.